You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. My guest today is Dr. Neil Stone, a professor of clinical medicine in the Department of Cardiology. He serves as a preventive cardiologist at Northwestern University in Chicago. He is the past chair of the American Heart Association Nutrition Committee and has also served as a member of the writing group for the Adult Treatment Panel 3 of the National Cholesterol Education Program. Dr. Stone, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk a little bit today about the success rate or the effects of diet and its impact on heart disease. Is there one? Well, I think there's a substantial one. They recently published a review of how we've done from 1980 to 2000 in U.S. adults 25 to 84 years in age, and they suggested in this review that approximately 44% of the benefit was due to change in risk factors like cholesterol, blood pressure, smoking prevalence, and physical inactivity, and diet and lifestyle play a major role in helping us control these risk factors. How do you tease out, though, the effect of diet versus controlling their blood pressure, getting them to exercise again? It's all in the mix, but there are benefits from diet and and lifestyle on lowering uh, cholesterol. For example, even people on statins, these really powerful medicines that lower cholesterol, if they go on a, a diet that's recommended that keeps saturated and trans fats lower, it's equivalent to a doubling of the statin dose, so they can be on half the dose they might have to be on to keep their LDL, low-density lipoprotein, some people call it the lousy cholesterol, to keep that level okay. For diabetes, diet and lifestyle are a powerful combination. In one, in two studies of people who were prone to diabetes, diet and lifestyle reduced the likelihood of progressing to diabetes in three years by almost 60%. And that's certainly substantial. Quitting cigarette smoking isn't diet and lifestyle, but you certainly, I think, have to be into this whole healthy behaviors approach if you're going to make progress in that area. And in terms of hypertension, we now have effective diets that are as good as the initial therapy for hypertension, especially in some populations like African Americans that have a a large toll of cardiovascular morbidity and death from hypertensive heart disease. Let's dive into some of the diets because there are many out there. There's low fat, there's moderate fat, there's high fat, there's Mediterranean. So let's talk about a very low fat diet. It it seems difficult to maintain, but what are the pros and cons? Well, the pros and cons of the very low fat diet as promoted by Ornish and by Pritikin are that there are actually some studies to show that on angiogram, people have done better if they keep their diet less than 10% of saturated fat and cholesterol, but it's very tough to, to stay with. But nonetheless, these very rigid, low-fat diets in people properly motivated can promote weight loss and can promote beneficial effects on the heart as shown by uh, serial angiograms. Let's move on to, let's say, a moderate-fat diet. That probably is easier to maintain in one's lifestyle. Sure. Moderate fat, of course, is the hope for most of the population because it's hard to make extreme changes. But those who keep a diet similar to that espoused by the National Cholesterol Education Program or the American Heart Association, they're reduced in animal fats and high-fat dairy products. They're reduced in trans fats. These are fried foods like commercial baked products, donuts, french fries, hard stick margarine. 
keeping the diet lower in those and having more fiber and fruits and vegetables can be quite beneficial to your cholesterol. It, it can be beneficial to your blood pressure. These are diets that have real staying power as people can stay on them for a while. And then we have a high-fat diet, which seems almost counterintuitive, but has low carbs. How does that diet pan out? There are advocates for the high-fat, low-carb approach. They point out that with an Atkins-style diet, one study showed that some young premenopausal women lost more weight at the end of a year than other diets, although another study showed that uh, the Atkins really was no better than the other diets. The concern for many of us who are involved in cardiovascular prevention is the long-term effects of such high-fat diets where people eat lots of saturated fats and cholesterol and trans fats. And as a result, overall, we're worried about their long-term risk of heart disease. But some take-home messages from the, the lower-carbohydrate diets are that they may be especially helpful in those with high triglycerides and borderline blood sugars. In fact, the National Cholesterol Prevention Program back in 2001 allowed for patients to have up to 35% of calories as fat, but mainly the better or the so-called good unsaturated fats rather than the, the saturated fats in order to keep carbohydrates relatively lower. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM157. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, your host, and my guest today is Dr. Neil Stone, a preventive cardiologist at Northwestern University in Chicago, and we're talking about the different diets and their effects on lipids and heart disease. Dr. Stone, you know, there are numerous studies out there. Some have good results and some have bad. We don't necessarily hear too much about the bad results of the diets, but can you go through uh, some of the effects on the Women's Health Initiative and the effects of diet in that study? Yeah, the Women's Health Initiative was an important study because there were so many people involved. They looked at over 48,000 women after the menopause, age 50 to 79, and they were either assigned to a low-fat diet intervention group or sort of a comparison group. They had hoped to get them down to 20% of calories as fat, but they weren't as successful. And it shows one of the problems of trying to make diets really low in fat is that it's very hard to get people to buy into it. But they did promote more servings of fruits and vegetables and six servings a day of grains, uh, important for raising fiber. And they tried to give them behavior modification. And at the end of year six of an eight-year follow-up, the mean fat intake had decreased by about 8% down from 30, almost 38%, and they had decreased somewhat their saturated fats in the diet, and vegetable and fruit intake were up, and they, they did lose weight. They lost 4 to 5 pounds the first year, and they, they maintained that, although not quite as good as the time went on. The group really didn't show an improvement in, in heart disease, but this was a low-risk group to begin with, so many of us weren't convinced that you could have shown much of a change given the small changes in cholesterol that occurred because of the diet. Let's move across the Atlantic Ocean, if you will, and let's first stop in France. And try and help me and the listeners understand what, what seems to be the French paradox, where these folks get to live large, they can smoke whatever they want, drink whatever they want, eat whatever they want, and yet it appears that they don't get heart disease as much as us. Well, there's a lot of controversy on that. Some people feel that when they fill out death certificates, they don't recognize a heart attack. The mm -hmm. death certificate, the doctor's pretty much free to write what he wants, and there's a lot of cirrhosis in France, and they tend to, to write cirrhosis frequently. So that was one criticism of it. But the diet is different in France, and this might be a good 
time to go to the Leon Diet Heart Study, which was a more controlled observation. And this is where they randomized subjects who had had a heart attack, their first heart attack, and they either gave them a Mediterranean-style diet that had a test margarine that was compositionally similar to olive oil, which, of course, is a big staple of Mediterranean diets. But this margarine with canola oil had more alpha-linolenic acid in it, and that was pretty important because this group turned out to have more omega-3 fatty acids when they did blood samples. And they showed that although the subjects had a lower cholesterol, lower saturated fat, they had more monounsaturated fat, like olive oil or canola oil, more polyunsaturated fat, but they had less dietary cholesterol. There was really no change in alcohol between the groups, but when you compared them to the usual diet group versus this Mediterranean-style group supplemented with this special margarine, they had a markedly lower risk of recurrent heart disease by almost two-thirds, an improvement in total mortality as well as even small improvement in cancer mortality. So it was a strikingly great success, and many people have clamored for us to repeat this kind of study here in the United States. What about the factor that the French actually will walk off their meals? They will walk to dinner. They will walk from dinner. They may walk to the store to get their fresh vegetables. They may walk home from the store. And we drive everywhere and fight to find the closest parking spot. I think that's one of many factors. Anyone who's eaten out recently or gone to the supermarket recently knows that we tend to be supersized. A bagel used to be 120 calories, 3 inches in diameter. Now it's six inches and about 370 calories. You'd have to walk 50 minutes to the store and back just to burn up the extra calories from the bagel. That can't be good for you. I read something recently that if you go to a store, all you should do is shop in the perimeter of the store, and that's where you're going to get the healthiest food and just avoid the high carbohydrates from the center of the store, which has all the processed foods any truth to that? I think that's a tactic. It's a strategy for some people. The most important point I would make is that people need to think about eating less, not eating more. This concept of being supersized, I think, is a real one. And we need to think about, do I really need to pile on extra servings, extra portions? One comedian talked about that they put cheesecake on his cheesecake as a way of indicating how the portion sizes have increased and I think if, if people realize that, that these extra, extra large portions and extra size of things is really like putting a piece of cheesecake on all your food, then maybe you'll have room for a little cheesecake every now and then. But certainly not every meal, not every day. Well, it, I mean, it's interesting as you say that I think of going to a French restaurant and the portions are small. And some people complain, you know, we paid so much for this meal and it's just these small little portions. But perhaps that's what the French are good at, which is walking away from the table and not being completely sated. Well, I think that's right. Many people have noticed that there's a website called Portion Distortion, and they make some wonderful points. They point out that a cup of spaghetti with sauce and three small meatballs is 500 calories, but that isn't what you get now. That was 20 years ago. Now you get two cups of pasta with sauce and three large meatballs, you've gone from 500 calories to 1,000 calories. And it would take a woman two and a half hours to clean her house. It would take somebody outside walking or running an enormous amount of time to burn up those extra, extra calories. Even sodas are much larger now. 
someone's having a soft drink that has the sugar in it and has one every single day, it takes a lot to burn up all those extra calories. If you have a Coke every day, you're, you're looking at 13 pounds a year of extra weight. Even the, the venerable turkey sandwich that everybody says, well, that's got to be on the diet. It used to be 320 calories, but now we've supersized it, so it's over 800. And if you want to ride a bike, you're talking 90 minutes of bike riding to burn up those 500 calories. And I know my patients get very discouraged when they're exercising every day and they come back and their numbers haven't changed because they're still eating enormous amounts of calories. Exactly. And that's why I try to tell people at the end of every visit, eat less, eat smart, move more daily. And just trying to, to make a little dent in this overeating and this overconsumption of calories can make a, a major difference for people. Well, that's an excellent note to stop on. Eat smart, eat less, and get off your butts. Dr. Neil Stone, thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, it was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Lipid Illuminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.